What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and theringer.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Lucasfilm and Disney Plus, presenting an all-new Star Wars series, The Accolade. Stream the two-episode premiere this Tuesday and witness an investigation into a shocking crime spree where secrets will emerge and no one is safe from the truth. The Acolyte, two-episode premiere, streaming this Tuesday only on Disney+. Plus. Hello and welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three... Humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic set with specific rules and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base will smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true trial-by-content winner. Hi, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller, and I, this week, have the honor of introducing a fourth, a guest. You know her from the Ringerverse and House of R, our friend and yours, Mallory Rubin. Mal, are you ready to talk about Ewan today? Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. Uh, it's an honor, dare I say a privilege, to be here with all of you today <laughs> to engage in trial by content. I have to say, Joanna has, has potted with me enough to know that I always have a little bit of a pre-pod tummy ache, a little bit of healthy nerves. Nervous today. This is like hanging Ooh. out with three people who have been best friends on public forum podcasts for eons. And here I am just trying not to fuck it up and embarrass myself. Oh Thanks God. for the invite. <laughs> this is me on every ringer podcast. <laughs> um, um, Ma- Sonny Mallory promised me this morning for no good reason, because I didn't ask it of her, is she was like, I'm just so happy to be chill and here and hang out and so excited yeah. to like just spread the love for you, McGregor. But I <laughs> yeah, have debated with Mallory Rubin before. No. I'm just here to warn you. No. She might she might say she's here for the <laughs> love, but usually she's here for a fight. And none of that know. bad behavior from me today. <laughs> I uh I'm here with pals, with colleagues to engage in shared celebration of somebody who we all love and admire. Great. It might be a fight, but it's more like a pillow fight. You know, <laughs> everybody's just swinging really hard, but no one gets too hurt. I like that idea. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, this week, we dive deeper into the career of an actor who narrated the 2019 documentary Wild Way of the Vikings. He's been a grown-up Dan Torrance and a grown-up Christopher Robin. He stared at goats and gone salmon fishing in the Yemen. He was Private Hopper in the TV miniseries Lipstick on Your Collar in 1993. Of course, it's Ewan McGregor. What performance by this actor is considered his absolute best? That's what we debate today on Trial by Content. But first, 
We need to see what the final verdict is on the best television show based on a movie from last week. How did we do, Joanna? Wow. Uh, first of all, just thrilled to be talking about you and Gregor, I just want to say. But also, we had so many votes this last week. Thank you guys. You guys care so much. So many votes. <laughs> about films made out of TV shows. And uh, <laughs> despite my alarming early lead things did not shake out for me so let's go let's go like this our lovely listener came in with 12.4 percent of the vote i'm very surprised actually i really thought the the listener was going to walk with this one i don't know what happened but uh we learned some things dave comes in third place with 14.3 percent of the vote achieving his goal of getting over 10 percent of the vote this week i came in a, a valiant second i must say with 34.4 percent of the vote but taking it all away the Knights of Neil came out for Neil with 38.9% of the vote. Neil, how do you feel? Your victory. I mean, I feel great about my choice to believe in Tom Cruise. And I, I feel like this is just a win for both myself and for Tom because he lost the vampire poll to me, oddly enough. And uh, I'm, I'm good. It's good to see him so, sort of, you know, shine finally. Tom Cruise. He never never gets recognized for anything good. Yeah. As a reward, finally. we got a whole trailer for a whole other entry in Mission Impossible. Yeah. I feel like I willed it into existence uh, along with uh, our listeners. So Mission Impossible is is the top. The Fugitive though got got a lot of love. More people sure. should watch Firewalk with Me, the great Twin Peaks film, and Star Trek fans get it together. Okay, this week. <laughs> As we mentioned, we're talking about Ewan McGregor. There is a reason why we're talking about Ewan McGregor this week, but I'm going to let someone else talk about that later on. So we're not really going to talk about the primary, primary hook. We're talking about Ewan McGregor this week. So I thought I would take us on like a little light Ewan McGregor tour uh, before we get in, before we mix in. Um, oh, yeah. So first of all, I want to honor Ewan McGregor <laughs> for something he does really well, pretty well. Um, and a lot of different films, which is go so many places, which is <laughs> a lot of options. He can he can sing. And not only can the man sing like pretty well. This is one of my favorite clips of all time. This is him in the Danny Boyle film, A Life Less Ordinary, a really underrated film uh, from 1997, where he is singing with Cameron Diaz. And I would like you to listen to this and tell me what you think. Um, so that's Ewan McGregor singing very well, and that's Cameron Diaz, who is also there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say she was better in the mask. When they dubbed her, yes. This is one of the most insane things right. I've ever seen. It is true to most karaoke experiences, though. Like, Cameron Diaz, is, I think, is representing all of us in this karaoke experience. Um, it's a great little number from... if you should, I watch it regularly on YouTube. It's fantastic. She cannot carry a tune in a bucket. He is great. <laughs> they dance together. It's fantastic. So I just wanted to shout out a great thing about Ewan McGregor before I get to this next thing. We're about to spread so much love on Ewan McGregor as we talk about the (laughs) best things that he's done. So let's talk about the one thing this man cannot do, which is accents. Ah, yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a family of accents that he can do, which is like the British Isles, right? He can do, I'm not here to judge his English accent or anything like that. We're going to leave that off the table. So let's start with Ewan McGregor himself 
talking about an accent that he did for a little film known as Beauty and the Beast. I'm married to a French woman 20 years, more than 20 years. I thought, yeah, I've, I can do the French accent. And I got there and I couldn't <laughs> at all. Be and it was guest, so many guest, people put there. service to the test. Test. <laughs> and behind the glass, I can see them all going, OK, just wait a minute, you. And I'm going, <laughs> <laughs> fighting behind the glass. I'm sitting there going, oh, shit, I can't do it. Uh, so that's Ewan McGregor himself admitting that his French accent, he had to, I guess he had to go back in and redub the entire film, is what he said on a 2015 episode of The Grand Norton Show. So um, Ewan himself is aware. Mallory, any thoughts or feelings? I have a question for you. Yeah. So it's just now occurring to me in real time listening to that absolutely delightful and deeply charming soundbite. Is this real? Or is this... A show of humility, false humility, perhaps, so that he is not perfect at literally everything. This is why we had to make it best Ewan McGregor performance, because like every time the man's talking, he's doing really good at it. And you're like, is that a person? Is that a real person? Or is that a media forward Ewan? The reason I don't think this is a show of humility is my next and final clip, which is (laughs) the accents that Ewan McGregor really struggle with are the American ones. So let's mm. take a tour around these here United States as we listen to you and McGregor. You don't know me, but my name is Edward Bloom, and I love you. We had the floors redone. Oh, yeah? Yeah? I mean, you're looking at the guy that believed the commercials, you know, about be all you can be. I made coffee through Desert Storm. I made coffee through Panama while everyone else got to fight, got to be a ranger. Now it's Grimesy Black One Sugar or Grimesy Got a Powdered Anywhere. Oh, now I couldn't say, ma'am. I, I'm not much for going to parties. My idea of a good time is to sit at home with a good book and smoke my pipe. Uh, <laughs> All right, that is that is Ewan Rigger in Tim Burton's 2003 film, The Big Fish just Big Fish, not The Big Fish. Ridley Scott's 2001 Black Hawk Down, season three of Noah Hawley's Fargo, where he plays two characters with the same bad accent, and down to Payne Reed's 2003 film Down With Love. I will just say really quickly, in defense of Down With Love, he is putting on that accent, but I, I, I do want to say Renee Zellweger, or some, some people seem as if they think a real human being from the South might sound like Zip Martin <laughs> sounds, catch your block, Southern alter ego and down with love. So uh, that day, did, did you have a point, point of, of order? order? Yeah. I've been, uh, <laughs> why, I rewatched down with love before this podcast. Cause I thought maybe that would be my choice. Uh, when he's doing the straight American, the not Southern American, he does say world, world, no, world. He, his, with another more syllables than is needed for I, the word world. I will tell you this. I almost did just the catcher blocks accent because I thought the Zip Martin accent wasn't fair. But then I was watching it, fun fact, on Hulu with captions on, and it said bracket English accent. So I was like, is he supposed to be doing an English accent as catcher block? Like, that's what the closed captioning were claimed. So I didn't want to, but yeah, I could have done that. Makes it- I have so many questions about the plot of Down With Love now. <laughs> I could have done the catcher block accent where he's like, and Lola's on the bongos. And you're like, what is? what are you saying? <laughs> what is that accent? <laughs> anyway. Is the accent so bad that it, it duped the AI? <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, we love you and McGregor so much. We're obviously about to talk about all the things we love. I just thought that I would point out one thing that you know that I like to talk about is accent work. 
this is a this is a big Achilles heel for our guy Ewan. Neil, any thoughts or feelings about the accent work of of Ewan McGregor? <laughs> I will have many thoughts, in fact, about both his acting and his singing ability. Um, but yeah, the American accents are very rough. In fact, there's one as a tease for later that you did not play in there that I think is even more just mwah, chef's kiss, terrible Southern uh, American accent. But, you know, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to all of that. I will say, I think it might be getting better because I was I was going to clip something from Dr. Sleep, but I actually think his American accent is pretty good in Dr. Sleep, a film that I love. So anyway. Yeah, he's working uh, on it. Love, love, love to you, McGregor. He's working on it. Neil, furthermore, can mm. you give us a rundown of the rules this week? Absolutely. Uh, so your choice for the best Ewan McGregor performance must be, and pay close attention here, a performance by Scottish actor Ewan McGregor. <laughs> Yay. That's it. We can kind of debate our way around <laughs> the rest of it. Mally, I know you're new, I know you're new, but do you get it? Oh my Are god. You, can you hang with the rules? I love it. Okay. Yeah. So, but before we get to our arguments, we're going to give away some awards, and we're also going to do something a little bit different this week uh, for pretrial dismissals. But first, we're going to give our category crown to the real Ewan McGregor. Uh, Every time he is on a press tour, as we've already been talking about, endlessly charming, says what he wants, could be real, could not be real. Either way, we believe it because it just feels right. (laughs) So there, Ewan uh, himself is category crown. The category clown... This is a difficult one because as much as we love Ewan McGregor, he has also made some movies with some people that we don't necessarily like talking about a lot. Uh, In particular, he made the movie Mordecai with uh, Johnny Depp, who you'll note is uh, weird. Uh, He made the movie The Ghost Writer, which I think was in 2013, with a very problematic figure known as Roman Polanski. Um, mm, yeah, it's too too late in time to do your Polanski movie in 2013. Yeah, yeah, it was way too late. Uh, and then one who he got uh, he got into a movie with someone who became problematic later, which is the Steven Soderbergh movie Haywire, in which he stars uh, in a supporting role to Gina Carano, who is now making movies for the Daily Wire. Good job. So that is our category clown. All the fun, mo- not fun movies that you and made with not fun people. <laughs> so there we have it. For pretrial dismissals this week, um, it was really down to uh, two choices. One, I could just read his entire IMDb, which would make for a very long, very boring episode. So instead, I have decided that I'm going to read for you, my three lovely co-hosts, the top 10 Ewan McGregor movies by Rotten Tomatoes score. And I'm just going to allow you to react (laughs) to this Um, because it gets a little weird. Critic score or audience score? We're going critic score. As much as okay. uh, the audience score is very important, uh, critics, they're the ones who are on this list. <laughs> <laughs> but who, uh, who's voting on this poll, Neil? Yeah, that's true. All right. mm, that's the people. True. Well, let's hear from the critics. We'll let, we'll let them have their say for, for just this little moment. Uh, number 10 is Little Voice from 1998, uh, in which he's barely, film. Uh, barely even in the top billing, but uh, he is in the film. He's barely in it, and crime against all humanity. He doesn't sing. There's Waldwell singing in that movie <laughs> by Jane Horrocks, and Ewan doesn't sing a note, but he does keep pigeons. Okay, next one. Uh, number nine <laughs> is the aforementioned Haywire, which got eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes um, because it had, you know, it was a Soderbergh movie, and uh, at the time, you know, nobody, nobody in the cast was weird. 
And uh, Michael Fassbender got his entire life choked out of him by a pair of thighs. He really did. That was a great moment for (laughs) cinema. It really was good. (laughs) Uh, Number eight, a movie that I think will probably come up again, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith from 2005. (laughs) You ever heard of that Obi-Wan character? Uh, Number seven, uh, perhaps the longest title of any movie Ewan has ever starred in which is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn from 2020, 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, in which he plays a very terrifying bad guy. Number six, The Impossible. This movie also stars a very teeny tiny Tom Holland and a Naomi Watts. I think it's about, uh, I don't think I ever saw this one. It's about like a tsunami, right? Yeah. Natural Mm -hmm. disaster. It's a great movie. Uh, Number five, we finally get a train spotting, but it is the sequel. T2 train spotting from what? 2017. Yeah, yep. see? It's, it's up there. I told you this gets weird. What? <laughs> At 81%. Uh, number four, 1996 is Emma, which starred Gwyneth Paltrow. And I believe he's in a very supporting role in this one as well. Uh, so that, but that comes tr- in. A truly reprehensible wig. Please go sure. look it up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wig watch. Number three, a 2010 movie that we talked about. It was very, very late in the game to get on the Roman Polanski train, but the Ghost Rider still got 84% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. For shame, everyone involved. Uh, Number two is the 2010 Mike Mills film, Beginners, which he stars alongside Christopher Plummer, Melanie Laurent. Really great film that I don't know if it's going to get talked about too much. when we do our picks. And then number one, something that I think will come back around is 1996's Train Spotting, directed by Danny Boyle. So there you have it, the top 10 Ewan McGregor movies, according have, to those critics. I have a real issue with number three because sure. <laughs> Polanski aside, I saw the Ghost Rider in theaters, and that is a bad movie. So I don't yeah. know what's happening with How any of this. How it got such a high Rotten Tomato score is to this day well, a mystery. They gave it percentages. Maybe there were five reviews and four of them liked it, you know? Mm. Sure, sure. Yeah, so there you have it. Those are our rules. Those are our awards. Dave, I'm ready to go into the next. That means it's time to kick it off with opening remarks. Each host is going to have one minute to give an initial pitch for their choice. Usually we go uh, in order of the winner uh, because we consider going first sort of a uh, a tough position to be in. So Mallory, I'm going to give you a choice. You go first, you go last. What are you feeling like? You're going to have to go in reverse order for closing arguments. All right, I'll go first. Ooh, All right. All right. I like it. She wants the, she wants the final word because <laughs> I need it. <laughs> I'll, I'll start. I'll start. The, I'll start the clock. 60 seconds. Starting. <laughs> now. Okay. Why are we here today? While it is never a bad time to indulge in our shared love for you and McGregor, we have gathered this week because. Later this week, Obi-Wan Kenobi premieres on Disney+. Plus. We are here because Ewan's Kenobi is such a force, such an indelible part of our shared Star Wars experience that nearly two decades after Obi-Wan walked away from Anakin's melting husk, our enthusiasm for his version of the character still bubbers, bubbles as blisteringly as the lava of Mustafar. Now, the prequels may not be for everyone. But Ewan's Obi-Wan is transcending the films to become bigger than any one portrayal, to become embedded in the DNA of 45 years of fandom. 
Ewan's Obi-Wan is witty, he's sexy, he's skilled in a duel, compelling in contemplation, and particularly in Revenge of the Sith, he's all of these things at once, almost unbearably charming, Five, battling four, against Grievous, tormented three, as he watches his apprentice two, fall. Carlos, I hope the listeners feel this way. Play the clip. You are the chosen one! <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Excellent. Um, Ele- elegant. Elegant? Elegant. He Next up is going to be is going to be is going to be Mr. Neil Miller. All right, I am here to take you through my process. When I was thinking, what is it that I look for in the perfect Ewan McGregor performance? Am I looking for a fun accent? Maybe it's easy to find in his filmography, especially if you've seen Fargo. Do I prioritize multiple Ewans and surprise everyone by taking Michael Bay's The Island? Hmm. Or again, Fargo? No. I don't think so. Neither of those. Even though I kind of like the island. Not on this day, friends. On this day, I need a special kind of Ewan performance, one that ignites the fires within, allows him to spread his wings as a romantic leading man, and delivers so many silly love songs. Yes, I need a voice of the children of the revolution, a hopeless romantic writer who needs to prove his father wrong, a true bohemian revolutionary who believes in beauty, freedom, truth, and most of all, love. Friends, I need the voice of an angel who can light up the entire city of Paris with a little bit of Elton John. Let's hear it. Yes! Yes! My gift is my soul And this one's for you And you can tell everybody there you have it. Ewan McGregor in Baz Luhrmann's 2001 jukebox yeah. musical Moulin Rouge. I got a little emotional. <laughs> Washing. Jesus. Whew. All right, folks. Um, as as anyone who has listened to me long enough knows that I have had a, a lifelong uh, preoccupation with Ewan McGregor. So there is like a whole field of tiny independent movies from early in his career that I could champion here. Um, and maybe I should, but instead I thought I'd go a little rogue. This is actually a request from our producer, Arjuna. Um, so let's just, let's just take our hats off to you and McGregor for truly going for it as Roman Sionis in Birds of Prey. <laughs> this is a movie I'm half convinced he did just so that he could hang out with his new girlfriend, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I don't know. I don't know how this happened, but I know that I am grateful that it happened. You're going to hear a clip in a second that is going to do a lot of work for me. But first, I just want to mention that at one point in this film, does he cut people's faces off? Yes. But the most maniacal thing he does is he eats popcorn with gloves on his hands. Why did he do that? I'm so disturbed. Let's listen to you, McGregor and Birds of Prey. I got it when I was embedded with the Ngami tribe in Congo, Kinshasa. Have you ever been? I've never been. Mm. I've heard it's beautiful. It's, it's dirty. Genuine Sansa, or shrunken head. Shar of Ecuador. They're amazing people. They boil the heads of their enemies and they make these little fellas exquisite, aren't they? A little haircut. Yeah. Yeah, he's a thousand years old and now wow. he's just an ornament in my living room. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> man some real good clips yeah ew I love it what is that accent I'll never know it's a Gotham that's... Gotham City accent <laughs> sure, yeah. sure sure the regional accent of Gotham City <laughs> <laughs> uh, alright 
I'm back with another excellent movie that is probably the feel-bad pick this week as I'm picking Danny Boyle's Train Spotting, where Mr. McGregor plays Mark Rentboy Renton, a young man who is trying to give up heroin but keeps getting sucked back into the illegal, sad, and tormented world of his addicted friends. The character of Renton is mostly communicated through voiceover, putting him strongly in the Holden Caulfield tradition of central protagonist character, who we judge less because we are inside his head. Otherwise, we have to judge the events of the film off Renton's reaction to them, suspending overall judgment until the end of the movie. Absolutely devastating tales from Renton's young life, like the death of baby Don and his close brush with HIV are filtered through his matter-of-fact reactions, making his adventure into the worst toilet in Scotland one of the more joyous sequences in the film. Ewan McGregor in Trainspotting isn't just iconic, he's our porthole into the reality depicted in Trainspotting without him. Both his visual performance and voiceover, the movie loses its ability to view the world with anything but disdain. Carlos, clip me. Now, I've justified this to myself in all sorts of ways. It wasn't a big deal, just a minor betrayal. Or, we'd outgrown each other, you know, that sort of thing. But let's face it, I ripped them off, my so-called mates. But Begbie, I couldn't give a shit about him. And sick boy, well, he'd have done the same to me if he'd only thought of it first. And Spud, well... Okay, I felt sorry for Spud. He never hurt anybody. Listen to the young voice of that little cherub. <laughs> I love that. I love that Neil is like, I'm going to make you cry with emotion. <laughs> Dave is like, dead babies in HIV, anyone? Um, <laughs> I'm back off Firewalk with me, here with the exact same energy. Um, loved, I love train spotting. And, and, and uh, right, points to you for not using, choose life, choose a career. That whole like monologue. Anyway, Ewan, he's here. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. I want to talk to, to Mal first because I think she really has uh, a key place in this debate. <laughs> As uh, having a movie that, ooh, as she has props, having a movie that doesn't have uh, voiceover to drive it and also doesn't have uh, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend in it. I do have a tiny bone to pick with Mal in that um, 
it seems like the performance of Obi-Wan and your description of it could extend to all three prequel movies. He said the prequels aren't for anybody. I completely agree. That second one uh, is especially rough for me, but might be good for you because Ewan McGregor basically is acting that whole movie with nobody else. He's on he's on a green screen stage. Um, how do you think it's a, a, a boon in your in your corner that it, your performance might be pure Ewan McGregor? Dave, thank you for asking, and thank you for remaining focused and untasked as I shoved multiple action figures into the Zoom camera. And this one, just so you know, is a piggy bank made for oh. children. And I cherish it and keep it on a shelf in my living room like a real adult. It was it was uh, Dave's aggressively shiny hair that he is trying to use to intimidate all of us versus Mallory's uh, toy chest. It's a good question. I have a few responses. One of which is a question that I'll throw back at all of you in part strategically, but in part because I'm actually curious for everyone's answer, which is what does best mean? For the purposes of this exercise today, what do we mean when we say best performance? Because I, I would I would posit that any potential answer you can provide, my pick has that shiny old check mark. A check mark as shiny as Dave's hair right next to it. The quality of the acting, check. The ability for the portrayal to elevate the material, to be the thing that really shines and makes us fonder of all of the things around it than we otherwise would be. It's sincere, emphatic, check, right? Memorable performance, check. Quotable performance, check. Memeable performance, check. Something that we want to return to and rewatch time and time again. Something that for us feels inextricable from the movie and the wider story, check. You know, you all said, despite Neil's whole bit at the top of the pod about how there's only one rule and it's that it's got to be a Ewan McGregor performance. You said that there was another rule. You told me this earlier today and it's that I had to pick one movie. And I just want to say this. While I did formally <laughs> present Revenge of the Sith as my one nominee, I think that Obi-Wan Ewan's Obi-Wan, if you were here with us today, would say that only Siths deal in absolutes. And so I reject the notion. I reject the premise. I reject the false limitation. And I say instead, the fact that Obi-Wan's performance, all of Ewan's charm right there at the fore, as you just said, Dave, thank you for making my case for me. I appreciate it. You're a pal. Yeah. cannot properly be assessed by looking at one film alone. It, it, it's a credit, a credit that it can't be because the portrayal is a huge reason our fondness for it. It's a huge reason why we are getting this new show. We have all of this prequel nostalgia. Everyone's interested in prequel rehab because we want to watch specifically this actor play this character in front of us in our living rooms week after week for the rest of time. Because Alec Guinness is dead. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Here's the inside baseball that I'm not afraid to say about this podcast. It was Dave's insistence, actually, that Mallory only pick one movie. Oh, and no, I didn't mine. know that it was your insistence. Yeah. No, we had a conversation last week oh. where Dave was like, I think she needs to pick one movie. And I was like, I'm not going to tell Mal what to do. And then I decided to like <laughs> capitulate to Dave. And I didn't know he's going to fling that in her face. Oh, I think it's a great I think it's a great opening. And I wasn't planning to go there first until Neil uh, read off a very surprising list of Rotten Tomatoes uh, rankings that included Train Spotting 2, which is my character. Is it the same performance? I'm gonna have a harder time making that argument because mine's sort of like a legacy sequel mm -hmm. without passing on uh, the mantle, so to say. But I do think 
if Mal picks the entire swath, you have a beginning of that, which is Phantom Menace, which he doesn't need to be in that movie. And then you have the end of that, Wildly which is disagree. getting... Wildly disagree. Wildly disagree. doesn't need to be in the movie. He doesn't need to be in the movie. Wildly disagree. Dying corpse of Qui-Gon Jinn. Mm-hmm. Tell that to the upper half of Maul, <laughs> who inch forward for 30 more years of That's not even canon. his best canonical showdown with Maul. Like, I not agree. even in the top three. I'm ready to talk about Twin Sons with you whenever you'd like. That's not the point. The point is you can only get those moments when you have Duel of the Fates. Twin, Twin Sons doesn't work without the Phantom Menace. What are you talking about? Also, Obi-Wan's whole relationship with Anakin is foundational in that movie and in their relationship to Qui-Gon, like how it's triangulated. You know how, how this is bizarre Lanny opinion, Dave. Looked at Padme and said, are you an angel? That's what I say every time I see you and McGregor as Obi-Wan. Are you I mean, angel? I guess that's I guess that's fair. The only thing I have against two sons is that's far enough down the line, and that's before we knew we were gonna get an Obi-Wan series. So that's that's Alec Guinness you're seeing there. That's Alec Guinness with the two-finger hold. That's why I have my my Clone Wars, <laughs> James Arnold Taylor, Obi-Wan, obviously. Yeah, Clo- Clone Wars is a is an excellent seven seasons uh, Ewan of based toasting. Obi-Wan. Yes, exactly. I think, I think that's great. The Ewan, the Ewan archetype. Yeah, there's yet another actor playing the part in a notable thing. You know, that's great. Coaching tree, my After guy. After yelling at Dave, uh, which I have no regrets about, um, <laughs> I, wa- I want to say something. Don't. Dave has a point. <laughs> I want the listeners to recognize. It may not be popular, but it is a point. I want to say something in Dave's favor, which mm-hmm. is when you look at the career of Ewan McGregor, like it doesn't exist without Danny Boyle. His first three, he was like Danny Boyle's muse until... Good old Leonardo DiCaprio came and busted up that relationship. But the Danny Boyle, Ewan McGregor double act that dominates the beginning of his career. I, I don't I don't think we can understand Ewan McGregor as a performer if we don't think about his Danny Boyle films. So I'm, I'm just arguing your favor for a second, Dave. Yeah, I mean, Briefly. I, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to now turn against you. Um, Joanna, why is your character <laughs> the best when Ewan McGregor plays Why him? do you think it's allowed that Neil hasn't said a single word yet in this debate? <laughs> I, I mean, because his is the lead that has a scene that, unlike the Qui-Gon scene, actually has some genuine emotion when his, uh, you know, romantic double dies. I feel like Neil's got a lot going for him. I'm still asking, why is it that Ewan McGregor's black mask is the best black mask to you? Did I say best black mask? No. No, no, you, you were like, how, how is he, you were like, how is he in this movie? I think he's I, wonderful in this movie. The movie is a little bumpy, but Ewan McGregor just wilding out in every single, just being like, I'm going to go as big as I possibly can. I've, I've seen what Margot Robbie can do with this character and I've decided to match her energy beat for beat. And that's what he does. Makes a million different bizarre choices. And then he tries to do that a little bit more seriously in the TV series Holston. And you're like, no, my friend, keep it to birds of prey. Don't bring this to prestige television. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the best black mask that ever was, but he's, he's one of the better, most enjoyable comic book movie. I really thought Mallory was going to be the jerk on this podcast, but Dave, it seems like it's you. <laughs> no, I'm definitely in the jerk seat. I have nothing bad to say about anyone's picks. These are great movies and great performances. That's the thing that makes this such a rare rare shared exercise here on the Bringer Podcast Network. I will be arguing fervently in favor of my pick, but I have nothing nothing negative to say about any of yours. This is like, you know how, Joe, I don't know if this is a thing that 
everybody does. It's definitely a thing that we've done more than once and will do again. You know, when we're like, where does Obi? Let's rank the hotness, right? Yeah. Which beard is the best? For sure. <laughs> When's the, when is his hair the best? It's all good, right? This is like my, this is how I feel about, I've said this a million times normally when I'm trying to explain why I like even bad MCU movies. Have you ever really had bad pizza, right? It's like even the worst pizza is still fucking delicious, right? And even whichever Ewan McGregor nominee finishes last in the poll is still going to be great. It just won't be as great as mine, which is going to win. (laughs) I was waiting for you to come around on that one. I was like, Maui's making the argument we shouldn't be debating. (laughs) We should absolutely be debating. I was going to say, he's uh, definitely spoken like someone who picked a, you know, multi-generational, hugely popular franchise movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, Neil, I want to I want to pivot to yours after coming up, going after Joanna for uh, I was waiting for my turn to be picked on. This is great. Neil, are you are you going to sing for us, Neil? I might. I might. I got a couple in the in the, you know in there somewhere. <laughs> what choices uh, is Ewan McGregor making in Moulin Rouge that you think uh, elevates it, you know, best instead of just being like another cog in the gigantic performance piece? Because if you look up the making of, <laughs> it's Nicole Kidman who's breaking ribs to get into corsets and sacrificing her body and worry that she isn't sing. It sounds like Ewan McGregor just showed up and did, did what he was told. <sighs> Where to even begin with that loaded question? First this of all, this is really wow. bizarre for you to lay <laughs> society's gendered body concerns at the feet of you and McGregor. Yeah. No one's coming for me. I gotta, I gotta keep going for everybody else. Here, let's, let's do it. Here's the way I look at it. Last week, I had a lot of success believing in Tom Cruise, but I am also one of those people who likes Nicole Kidman. Call me crazy, but I am a both. I'm a team both, right? And I think Nicole Kidman helps my guy Ewan because. She sets up Satine as this just uh, otherworldly presence in his life. And what we get out of it is Ewan's face, that beautiful little cherub face that lights up with the very mention of love. And that shit lives in my soul. Yeah. So it's really tough to, to move away from Moulin Rouge, not just the, the you know, the jukebox uh, musical montages that I put in my clip, but also there is something about the, and sorry for the Moulin Rouge spoilers. It's, it's more than 20 years old. You're just going to have to go with it. Uh, but at the end, <laughs> when we finally get the payoff of what he tells us in the first scene, which is that Satine will not make it through this movie when she dies, the cry that he lets out, I think it's just one of the all time, just like unnerving, my lover just died cries in cinema. And I think that there's a lot about Moulin Rouge that feels like it, you know, belongs to other people, right? There's Nicole Kidman's big, big stuff. There's Baz Luhrmann, all the energy. There's uh, Jim Broadbent's whole face. You know, there's the contributions of cocaine to the movie Moulin (laughs) Rouge. Very important. A lot of people have a lot invested in this. But I like to think of Christian as a wholly constructed Ewan character. He doesn't have to share this character with anyone else. Like, let's say, like a legend, like Alec Guinness. And Uh, he doesn't have to share this character with comic books. Point of order. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, There's a stage musical called Moulin Rouge. (laughs) And Aaron Tibet just won a Tony Award for playing Christian Moulin Rouge. An audio of him singing... 
Roxanne just saying. is ripping through TikTok right now. Show so. some respect <laughs> for the stage, Neil. <laughs> put some respect on Aaron. Yeah, I should have put something in the rules about uh, it has to be from a filmed medium. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I agree with Mal though that all of these have great qualities, right? Train spotting is such a raw, early, just energetic, kinetic performance from him. Birds of Prey is him really letting loose to be a ridiculous villain. And of course, Obi-Wan is his most iconic role. And, but, you know, I think yeah, Mulan Rouge, it, <laughs> it doesn't take much to get to get that picture of his doughy eyes looking up at Nicole Kidman and Mulan Rouge in your mind. You just got to hear, you know, a verse of an Elton John song. It's the smile with all the teeth, like sure. all the teeth, like he has extra teeth yeah. so that he can smile that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. the teeth. It's the eyes. It's it's everything. It, it, it's a wonderful it really smile. Works. When we get a Duchess Satine flashback in the impending Disney Plus series, <laughs> oh. Obi-Wan Kenobi, however, <laughs> nothing that you just said will even rate as the top moment that a Ewan McGregor character has shared with a Satine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. wow. Well, I mean, that's fair. And I, I just... I just want to shout out, this might come up again in the listener submission, but since Dave decided to oddly besmirch Ewan and Mullenridge for not cracking a rib under a corset, I do want yeah. to say one of my favorite, and Mal has already heard this story today, one of my favorite oh, things God. that Ewan McGregor ever said in an interview is that when someone asked him why he was naked in so many of his early movies, all of which I've seen as a teenager, um, <laughs> same. <laughs> he said yeah. it was as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. He said it was feminist for him to get his kit off because women are forever taking their clothes off on film. And he said he thought he would even the playing field. So Ewan has done a lot for yeah. men Just and women. Fighting for Fire up equality. the lightsaber, my guy. <laughs> I have uh, favorite lines uh, from each of your movies that mm. Ewan McGregor makes oh. work, even though it shouldn't. Uh, Revenge of the Ship, Sith, it's obviously I've seen him killing younglings. Did you just say Revenge of the Ship? <laughs> Revenge of the Fuck. Sith. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever gets me the most votes. Unbelievable. So this, is uncivilized. The, this is the second time on a Zoom call today that I've seen someone reenact the line. Yeah. About the younglings. I did all the younglings bit earlier. I just like <laughs> even, ever since I've seen that movie, I just love the day that like Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman show up and George Lucas is like, here are the pages. He's like, What the okay, cool. They're like, guys, this is really important. This is the killing of children, which as we've learned on this podcast, can lose Tom Cruise an entire vampire. <laughs> <laughs> uh Joanna, in your movie, it's yeah. uh, when he's when he's he's showing up. And he's black masked up and he's about to lead the, the thing and he stands on the card. He goes, fellow Gothamites. Great, great stuff. <laughs> but, in a, but in a far less uh, le- like intelligible accent, I believe, oh, yeah, is sure. what happened there. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And then Niels is, uh, because he doesn't love you. She doesn't love you. He just yells it. Just mm-hmm. yells the plot. Yeah. Right it, right it, Th- right at the guy. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming for the screenwriters of our movies while <laughs> while showing that Ewan McGregor is completely untouchable. None of that shit touches him. No, I think I'm not the first one to come after George Lucas's writing or Baz Luhrmann's. I'm pretty sure, but uh, Dave, I, I just have one thing to say. Just yeah, you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. <laughs> I, that often happens to me. <laughs> I'm, I, I, it's, it's like I become the Sith uh, by by 
by treasuring the holocron too much. Your new podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I, like you and McGregor, am not very good at accents, but... Uh, No, that was really good. Uh, Dave, how much do you think your film is hurt by the fact that every douchey person in college in the early aughts, including myself, had the monologue from Train Spotting on a poster mm-hmm. up in their dorm room. Yeah. Shout out to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. That's not really its fault as much as it's like the movie's fault. But no, I mean I think that I think that helps That's that a real lust for life. Scarfaceification mm-hmm. of train spotting in the early aughts. I mean, I can't, I can't help, uh, yeah, I can't help that happening with certain movies. It's like, we haven't talked about Fight Club on this podcast, but there's a whole sect of misinterpreting movies where you're supposed to judge the characters, but instead, we're just like, protagonist is good, and therefore leads to a wrong interpretation of the movie, which I think can happen with Train Spotting because the performance is so good at being neutral. Should we talk about some listener picks? Let's talk about some listener picks. As you guys might have mentioned or noticed. Oh, uh, do that again. <clears throat> As you guys might have noticed, we only do four option polls. Uh, we have four hosts this time, and we still want your listener submissions. So that means one of this week's three picks, uh, Neil, Joanne, and I have each picked a listener submission, will supplant one of our picks and be the uh, fourth option. It looks like Ooh. it's even more of a battle this week. I propose that we all make our arguments to Mal, who gets the final choice as to who the the final listener pick's going to be. I love that. I love that twist. Mallory, we didn't tell you you were judging, but I guess you are. (laughs) Sure. Okay, this is great. I can just sit back and relax and listen. I love it. (laughs) It's going to be easy, maybe. Actually, no, this is going to be very difficult because just like the entire thing we just did, but miniaturized. Uh, Here we go. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go with our reader, Beth, who wrote in and said, Hi, friends. I am writing to nominate Ewan McGregor's performance as the Iggy Pop-inspired Kurt Wilde in Velvet Goldmine as his best performance. It's by far his sexiest work, from his passionate, tumultuous affair with Brian Slade, a fictional David Bowie portrayed by Jonathan Rhys Myers, to his feral onstage performance of the Stooges songs like TVI and Gimme Danger. It's easily one of his best roles and so different from most of the work he's done and deserves to be considered in this week's poll. And I have a clip. Of course, you were pleasantly surprised. Softly, he said. Mm, it's like three, three of them there at the end. I'm really... Okay, first of all, I've now heard you McGregor's American accent so many times that it sounds like normal to me. It's like <laughs> it has broken something in my ear. No. <laughs> Secondly, I'm really surprised you didn't just use the sound of glitter sticking to his extremely sweaty body mm-hmm. <laughs> as he performs on stage and just shakes a whole can of glitter on himself. Incredible. We're film. so ready to be a visual based podcast at this point. We got the props, we got the clips. I am gonna go with our listener Bridget who writes, my choice for best performance by Ewan McGregor was his first leading role in a film and the first time he would work with Danny Boyle that would eventually lead to him being cast in his breakthrough train spotting. My pick for his best performance is Alex Law in Shallow Grave. It's extremely difficult to make a character of this vile watchable, but when he turns on the smarn charm, you can't not look away. Okay, the accent doesn't hurt either. Even at his most chilling, you want to see what he'll do next till the very gruesome end. Here's a Scottish... 
Thank God he's Scottish. Ewan McGregor in the clip, Carlos. Well, are you comfortable, Cameron? Yes, thanks. You seen the flat? Yes. And you like it? Yes, it's great. Yes, it is, isn't it? And we all like it. Spacious, bright, well-appointed, all that sort of stuff. All that sort of crap. Well, yes. Yes, so tell me, Cameron, just tell me, because I'd like to know, what on earth could make you think we'd want to share a flat like this with someone like you? I mean, my first impressions, and they're rarely wrong, is that you have none of the qualities we normally seek from a prospective flatmate. Talking here about things like presence, charisma, style and charm, and I don't think we're asking too much. I don't think we're being unreasonable. Yeah. So it's Ian McGregor absolutely decimating a very, very nice little man who wants to come live with him in a shallow grave. An incredible, incredible film that I might talk about a little bit more. Neil, what do you got? Well, I have chosen from our listener Michelle's email. This is a movie that I saw and enjoyed at a Sundance many years ago. Michelle writes, the best McGregor performance has to be his titular role as Philip Morris in I Love You, Philip Morris. Cast alongside Jim Carrey in this dark, twisted rom-com, McGregor sells you entirely as the naive, love-struck, and entirely too trusting Philip. I especially think every scene inside the prison where they fall in love through jailhouse letters is as endearing as any other cinematic love story. Not only does McGregor play dewy-eyed romantic perfectly, but with his killer blue eyes, he even pulls off the bleached boy band hair without looking cheesy, which is not an easy task. We have a clip of this one, and friends, the accents from Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor are absolutely delicious. Let's hear it, Carlos. You suing somebody? I don't know what I'm doing now. Uh, th- there's a guy I know. He he's uh he's in the infirmary now. He's sick, real sick. He aids. Mm. Well, I-, I thought maybe that I I could find a way to get him some help, some real help, not here, but some, so I thought maybe I could. I don't even really know what I'm looking for. <laughs> Tell him to get in touch with the Prisoner Rights Committee. They deal with this all the time, pro bono. I got the number. I oh, thank you. My name is Stephen Russell. Nice to meet you, Stephen Russell. My name is Philip Morris. My name is Philip Morris. I'm I'm, I'm Edward Bloom, and I love you. Like, I want to know who told you, McGregor, he can do his something. Someone has been lying to this man for decades. Yeah. Yeah, this one, and this is a very specific accent because these two characters are in jail in Texas. I believe both of them are supposed to be from Texas. It's not accurate at all. So, but a charming movie. I do want to say in favor of Shallow Grave. I just want to I just want to shout out Shallow Grave. Whether or not it wins, I just want to say if you've never seen it, fantastic film. Christopher Eccleston, Ewan McGregor, Carrie Fox play a trio of roommates. A guy dies in their flat. He's got a bunch of money. A lot of chaos ensues. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of drama and bad things and tension and and Chris Rackleston losing his mind in a crawl space. So I'm just saying, it's an incredible stacked cast. There's a ton of other people in this film. And it's just such an early, perfect, shaggy little noir that descends into madness. Great stuff from Hugh McGregor and his hair. Looks amazing in it. So there you go. I mean, I'm going to pick up uh, with Velvet Goldmine and just say, I believe that Beth has picked the sexiest performance. I believe... She Not only it. is the aforementioned glitter, work. Yeah. yeah, but there's a undressing Christian Bale from behind. There's a whole bunch of things that are you know, your specific kink over there in Velvet Goldmine. It's the uh, it's the eyeliner running down his face for most of the movie for me, honestly. Compelling argument. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's 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 a tough one to overcome. I mean, I love you, Philip Morris. Like I said, a movie that I enjoyed, a very fun comedy um, that was, I would say, mostly just well written. And then you, you know, you get a little taste of those accents from Carrie and McGregor. And I don't know, I don't know if it's like, if it's necessarily that they had a lot of like sensual chemistry in that movie, but they had some pretty good comedic chemistry, which I like uh, quite a lot. Do you think? That there's a pick here, almost like independent of the quality of the performance in question, that rounds out the set of overall nominees the best. Like that avoids any real redundancies and helps us get at like four different archetypes of Ewan roles. I will say, and it hurts me to say so, that probably the overlap between Train Spotting and Shallow Grave is a little too intensive. This sure. is why I asked. The dark yeah. Ewan corner. They've got that sort of wrapped up. But I mean, if you want to talk about like wildly, wildly, wildly over-sexual Ewan, which exists in a few other films as well, Velvet Goldmine is, is representing that for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, it's also a question of strategy, right? Because we know that this is going to round out the poll, and the poll is definitely going to include Obi-Wan Kenobi. So are there any of these three picks that we even think might even remotely compete? I think Velvet Goldmine is probably the one I would, because not enough people know about I Love You, Philip Morris. They should watch it. It's streaming currently on Hulu. It's pretty good. Um, but Velvet Goldmine is like, people remember some visuals from that movie. <laughs> I'd say you could kick me and put it in Shallow Grave and I wouldn't feel bad about it. But Velvet Goldmine does uh, versus Black Mask does. I think the glitter on my movie is slightly better than the the glitter on the on the, the Harley Quinn movie. I think we have to have train spotting. On I think there's the... no way we're doing this poll without train spotting. Are you that would be. Me? I mean, even though it is, as Dave mentioned, the feel bad movie of the poll, uh, which is extremely on brand. But yeah, I would fall on a laser sword if we got more people to watch Shallow Grave. I also think that in none of the films that we have listed so far. Does Ewan McGregor wear black leather pants and black leather pants only? But Velvet mm. Goldmine does have that. Sure. So, Which is an know. important demographic. The people who I are really so. into Ewan McGregor <laughs> in only black leather pants. It's a huge swap. We're going to find out that it's like 40% of our listenership. <laughs> it might be. Could be. <laughs> Don't rule it out. No, I wouldn't. I'm hopeful. Because that, that kind of helps my pick, right? Mine's a softer, Mulan Rouge is a softer version of Velvet Goldmine. Still very sexy, very fun, but not quite as much leather pants and mid I love putting those movies like they're basically the same thing. <laughs> they both have music in them. Hmm. Exactly. They both have music. So, oh my God, I'm torn. I'm torn between Dave's pick and Joe's pick. I'm sorry, Neil. No, it's okay. That's. I, I just, for my listener picks, I like to just make sure that we get a shout out to like a good little movie sometimes. Yeah. That's great. Beth or Bridget? Oh, I have to say, this is, you, you shouldn't have said before this segment that I got to pick because the first, second sentence of Beth's pick includes the phrase, by far his sexiest work. Then the clause after that is from his passion, passionate, tumultuous affair. I don't know how I can be expected. To be my truest self on this podcast and look beyond that argument. They can't. Horny Mallory vote wins it again. <laughs> okay. It's a shocking development. And here's here's what I feel. We can only have four entries on this poll. 
Correct. We currently have five entries. I feel so strongly for Velvet Goldmine and that the black leather of his pants is more important than the black leather of his mask in Birds of Prey that I'm willing to take myself off the board. Wow. So that we can have Revenge of the Sith, Moulin Rouge, Train Spotting, and Velvet Goldmine. Congratulations, Beth, to be the first listener to unseat a host (laughs) on Trial by Content. That means going into final statements, we're going to have Velvet Goldmine uh, from Beth. Joanna, would you like to argue a closing statement for that uh, extemporaneously? I just really don't know. Yes, absolutely. I would love to represent you, Beth. I'm sorry that I don't have a better argument except to repeat, as Mallory (laughs) did, some key words from from your argument, which is, feral onstage performance. Genuinely, if you consider yourself a Ewan McGregor fan, if you like to, if you, especially if you love a musical Ewan McGregor and you have not seen him slick with sweat on stage in Velvet Goldmine, do yourself a solid, watch it and vote for it. All right, and for the rest of us, we're going to go in reverse order from our opening statements. We get one more uninterrupted one minute uh, to give a final argument, and I get to kick it off here with more arguments for Train Spotting. I have had personal connections to all of these movies uh, when they came out, uh, and have enjoyed watching all of them uh, as my understanding of both making movies and what it means to be an actor uh, has matured. Uh, I think I've been a fan of each one of these movies in turn, and therefore it's hard to argue for train spotting, except if I have to ask myself the question that Mal asked me, which is what does it mean for best? I think my movie as a piece, it has something beyond, I guess, uh, pop sensibility. Uh, and that's the most I could chill for it. I love everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching Dave have to throw one of his lifelong loves, Star Wars, on a pyre and call it pop sensibility. <sighs> you mean your core, myth- your core mythology, Dave? <laughs> oh, man. No. Your text. <laughs> I got to stop going hard for the feel-bad movie and, you know, get, get back into people's good graces. Um, Neil, you're up next. All right. So you have some choices here, my dearest friends, our listeners. You can choose a legendary Jedi. You can choose a legendary pair of leather pants. <laughs> or you could choose the feel-bad movie of the uh, feel-bad choice of this week. Or you can vote for me. Because a vote for me is a vote for love. Because above all things, <laughs> I believe in love. Love is like oxygen. Love is a many-splendored thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. And as you and McGregor toss in Moulin Rouge, all you need is love. Uh-huh. But a girl's got to eat. She'll end up on the street. <laughs> That's true. She made some good points. <laughs> that was touching. As the Republic fell, as his battle on succumbed to the darkness, Obi-Wan Kenobi looked at his brother and said, I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. Today, dear listeners, you have the opportunity to avoid a similar and equally terrible fate. You have the opportunity to avoid an exile defined by regret. You have the opportunity to vote for Obi-Wan Kenobi in Revenge of the Sith, a portrayal that served as a bridge across decades of storytelling, taking us not only from the prequels to the OG trilogy or the prequels into the animated spinoff, shout out Filoniverse, 
but that is so memorable and iconic. It is still serving as a bridge into new unknowns, a hyperspace lane for us, transporting us to new canon, new insights, new possibilities, new beard lengths. There are no more fitting words to end on than Obi-Wan Zone. Just imagine that he's saying uh, Joe, Neil, and Dave here instead of Anakin. My Ewan, my darling, take us away. Carlos? It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! Oh no, ending with the high ground. (laughs) You're doomed! (laughs) When you joined us at the beginning of this podcast, you were but a learner, but now you are the master. Uh, and yeah. ending ending with a clip. That's that's a real yeah. Joanna is going to win this poll move uh, for Mal. I, I dig it. I didn't mean to call him my Ewan, by the way. I just kind of it just tumbled out. out of you. I mean, listen, it's it's <laughs> really just weird. further evidence of the deep passion we all have for Ewan McGregor. Oh, God. <laughs> my name is Ewan McGregor and I love you. Yeah. <laughs> So our final entries in the poll will be Train Spotting, Moulin Rouge, and Obi Wan (parentheses Revenge of the Sith), but Obi Wan Kenobi and Velvet Goldmine. You can find our poll for the best Ewan McGregor performance on TheRinger.com, on @Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Mal, thank you so much for joining us. Where could people find you talking more about Obi Wan Kenobi in the future? Ooh, thank you for having me. A true delight. They can uh, they can find me over on the House of R on the Ringerverse with Joanna Robinson. Ever heard of her? <laughs> <laughs> Join us for literally hundreds of hours of content in the coming days and weeks. I've seen hollows of Joanna killing younglings, though. You gotta you gotta be careful oh, man. with that. <laughs> Not the younglings. not the younglings Uh, Joanna will be back with uh, Neil and I next week uh, when we will be debating something else in trial by content Neil we got a fun one what are we doing next week I know we've had a lot of fun we've had a lot of laughing but I need everybody to focus for a second because next week is our most complicated debate yet next week on trial by content you get to pitch a legacy sequel Now, we know that legacy sequels are movies that are extensions of franchises that come several, maybe many years later. Maybe that's part of the debate. How many years? We'll find out. What's a good example of a legacy sequel? I mean, I think my favorite, of course, is the movie Creed, which came out about nine years after the, I think, sixth Rocky movie. Uh, Creed is the perfect legacy sequel in my mind. So we're going to try and come up with our own. Uh, in honor of a little movie called Top Gun Maverick, starring my friend and yours, Thomas Cruz Mabather IV. <laughs> but there are, unlike this you and McGregor debate, there are some specific sort of rules and format that you need to follow when you email your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. For your legacy sequel, you will need to select an already existing film that does not yet have a legacy sequel. So it must be the end of its own franchise, at least at this point. No pitching us more Ghostbusters. That happened. Also, you can't just do more Rocky movies. Uh, And then, with your pitch, we need a title of your movie. What is it called? We need three actor names for the poster. And we need a tagline for the poster. And if you'd like to add a sentence or two about the plot of your uh, proposed legacy sequel, that would also be very helpful. And remember, you can send those to trialbycontent at gmail.com. You can also use that email address to send us topics that you'd like us to cover in the future, um, including, I guess I can't include you and McGregor 
related debates, but maybe, I don't know. I, we have some clever listeners. We'll see. So again, next week, pitch us your legacy sequel. Give us a title. Give us three actors for the poster. Give us a tagline for the poster and send that all to trialbycontent at gmail.com. And this is by far our most complicated prompt oh, yeah. yet. So I, I think we're going to have some social media help to to get those rules across to you all if you, if you can't remember them. So make sure next week to tune in to hear some wild pitches for legacy sequels. And until then, I guess I will leave you the words with the words of the truth-speaking sitar that the greatest thing that you'll ever learn is just love. Be loved in return. This episode was produced by Carlos Jeroboam.